0: Good morning, everyone. I am so happy to be here with you all again. I, I—it's uh, a highlight all every time. I, I joke with you a lot, but please know that I'm honored, and it is a big joy in my life to be able to spend some time on Sunday mornings with you. I appreciate your pastor, Alan, entrusting um, some time for me to come and speak and share. And so excited for you as a church, and for what this fall entails, and as they. As Alan was laying all that out, I'm going, "Wow, that's there's some good stuff there." And I hope, I hope, I, I'm excited to watch how that just builds into your life. So we've been going through the book of Second Timothy, First Timothy, right before that, all summer long, and talking about the church of tomorrow. Get to wrap that up a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the second book of Second Timothy, or if you have it on your phone or iPad or whatever, turn it on, fourth chapter. As we uh, as we look at these last words. I would like you to just think of, um, think for a moment what, what it would be like if you were sitting on an airplane this morning. The seats wouldn't be quite as comfortable as what you're in now, but we're in here and all of a sudden there's a little more turbulence than expected. And it's a little surprising out of nowhere. And it's a little more, a little more severe than what you've ever experienced. And all of a sudden, the pilot comes on the intercom and says, I've got some bad news and some worse news. He says, the bad news is this. You're experiencing some turbulence. That's because all four of our engines are on fire. And uh, they're all about out. The worst news is, we're going down, we're going to crash. You, at best, have several minutes left. Just thought I wanted to let you know that. If you just had a few minutes left and there was a card in front of you and you could write on that card your, your last words to somebody that just maybe, maybe, maybe it would survive the crash. Who would you write to? And what would you write? And we're not going to take time for you to do that today. Might not be a bad little project for you to do this week. Sometimes we never say what we really want to say to the ones we love the most. But to the person that means so much to you, your, your husband, your wife, your Your sister, brother, child, grandchild, parent, neighbor. What would you say? What would you want to be said to them in those last few moments? That's 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. You have Paul writing to his son in the faith, his favorite person on the planet. And here's Paul in prison in Rome. It's dark, dark. It's damp, it's dank, it's dour, it's depressing, it's a pit of despair. How's that for some D words? You get the picture of that. And yet, he knows his life is about over. And in fact, not long after he finishes this scroll, his life is going to be taken from him. And yet he wants to get these words to the guy that that means the absolute most to him. And so we pick that up in the second chapter. I think that they're very important because not only were they huge words Timothy, they're huge words to you and to me. And when you talk about the church of tomorrow, I can't think of three three stronger charges to give you than, than these three words. It fashions who we are today. It launches us into what the future is until the Lord comes again. Are you ready for them? Three things. In Christ Jesus, your future is secure. Paul to Timothy, if there's one thing I can leave with you, if there's one thing I can highlight with you, if there's one thing when you're thinking of me and I'm long gone, realize this, in Christ, my future is secure. Secondly, because of Christ, we have a message to deliver. Timothy, when you wake up in the morning, you wonder what you're supposed to do today, realize this: You have a message to deliver. Church of today, church of tomorrow, we have a message to deliver. And thirdly, with Christ, we have a mission to live, a mission to live. So let's look at those three. First one, chapter four, Second Timothy. Paul speaking, he says, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus. Whoa, 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 time out, time out. Didn't you say Paul was in this deep, dark, damp, dank, dour, depressing prison? Yes, I sure did. He's in prison. Notice how he opens this, this little statement. Not, I'm in this deep, dank, dab, dob power. I better be careful. I'm going to get myself in trouble with D words. Um, <laughs> I'm in prison writing this to you I hate being in here I don't deserve to be in here it stinks in here I'm cold I'm hungry I've... none of that he writes like this in the presence of God in Christ Jesus there's this little underlying statement that kind of comes through that that I hope not only that you You don't let go by, but some of you need to grab onto this, that no matter what your circumstances are, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter how discouraging and and depressing it might be, God's always with you. In Christ, he's always with us. You don't face what you're facing today all alone. He's, He's with you even in the darkest moments. In Christ, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom. I don't know if you underline Bible verses or not. I have in my Bible interviewed, in view of. I'm in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, going to judge the living and the dead. And in view of this, and in view of his appearing, Christ's coming again, and in view of his kingdom, which we got a glimpse of on this earth, but it's going to be in its fullness one day, in view of his coming again, and us living in his kingdom forever and ever and ever, I, I give you this. I charge you with this. But it, what I'm going to charge you with is in, is in the context of our future is secure in him. It's, it's his appearing. It's his... He's coming again. Life life goes on. It doesn't stop here. But can you catch a view of him coming again and what that kingdom would be like? Because if you do, it changes everything. Timothy at this time, as we know as going through this book, he was kind of timid, a little fearful and anxious. He was was weak at times. He didn't know if he was going to make it any further, any stronger. And Paul's trying to build him up and boost him up, endure, keep at it, get strong, come on, you can do it. Christ is your strength. But here's what this this view of of the eternal principles do for him. It gives him courage. Timothy, you you are in the, if you can catch a view of this, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who judges the living and the dead? Usually most of our fear comes from what are other people going to think about us? What are people going to judge us for? What are they going to, what are they going to criticize us for? What are we not doing that we need to do? What have I done that I'm regretting and shameful? What What in the, in the presence of Christ who judges the living and the dead? All that matters when it comes down to it for eternity is what does Christ say about you? What does Christ think of you? Christ is the only judge. If you get his approval, that's all you need, and his approval comes through grace, and it's a gift. Take courage, Timothy. I don't care what you're going, I don't care what they can do to you out there. Christ is the one that matters. Take confidence in that, not only courage, but take confidence in that. Take confidence in the eternity, the eternity of, in Jesus Christ. Confidence. Now, I don't, I don't bet on sports. just want to clarify clarify that before we go much further. I don't. I I don't think um, a lot of people would approve as a pastor betting on sports. So I'm not saying that you should or you shouldn't. I just don't. But if I did, I would wager a bet with you today. See if there's any takers. I would, I would wager, I would, right now I'd put a thousand dollars on the line. A hundred and one, a hundred to one odds. And not being a betting guy, I don't even know what that means necessarily, but, uh, but I would do that. And football season is starting, you know, the Cardinals training camp and all that and all the excitement. I would let you take any team. I'm going to take one team. i would let you take any other team you want. The team I'm going to take, the New England Patriots. You can take any other team you want. And here's the wager. I bet that they won the Super Bowl last year. Anybody anybody up for that? No, of course not. You're going what? The game's already been pl- They already won. What are you talking about? They already won, Don. What are you doing? Yeah. They've already won. Guess what? Our team has already won. We win talked with you a couple of weeks ago about the battle we're in. There's a battle. It's a war. It's a fight. The enemy is trying to do everything to stop us and to halt us and to keep us from going on. But we win. That's the ending of it. You can bet your life on that, Timothy. We win. So take confidence in that. Take, you're on the winning side. But if you can get your, your vision and view of that, you'll, you'll live differently. In fact, it clarifies all of life if you can get an eternal perspective. It clarifies everything. In your life, if you can realize that, that this life goes beyond, your whole life will be different. There's a guy named Francis Chan, great author, pastor, speaker. Um, he had an illustration a number of years ago, which I loved. Up on the stage where he was, the platform, he had a long rope that went over the platform, down the, the aisle of the, of, the, of the worship center that they were in, out the doors, through the lobby, out into the parking lot. And on the little beginning of that rope, he had a little red taped area, about about that big. And his illustration was, this is our life, and that's eternity. All that compared to this. Now, I don't have a rope. I have something better, our imagination. So let me let me put my rope out here. Off the platform, down the middle of the aisle, open the door, somebody just opened the doors, out the door, through the lobby. In the parking lot, down by the school, beyond 50th Street, cross Chandler, all the way to the parking lot and on the front porch of the Cracker Barrel. That's where it goes. Because there's always a banquet in heaven, you know, so you have to. <laughs> and then you have this little, this little red part still, our life. As Chan would say, isn't it it just ridiculous that we spend so much time, so much energy, so many resources on this while avoiding to even consider all that? And yet that goes on and on for millions of years, for millions of years. It's like Paul is telling Timothy, it may be tough for you now, but you are going to love the next million years if you can just get your eyes on that and here's it. Now, some of us are, like, in the middle of this little red thing. Like, if you're getting around 50 years old, you're in mid-red mid crisis. <laughs> and there's not that many 100-year-old people around either. So you may be beyond mid. And you are saying, I need to keep everything ready for not only midway through, but I need to, like, that last eighth of an inch, I need all my resources so I can really enjoy that last eighth of an inch. That's my whole life right there, that last eighth of an inch. So if I have $1,000, I'm not going to put it in the kingdom investment, which will go on and on and on for millions of years. I'm going to put it in that last little eighth inch of my life because you never know when you need another tea time. So there it is right there. Take it a little bit further. Let's take the rope, untie it from the cracker barrel. Take it down Chandler Boulevard, I-10. Weave our way through Phoenix, out through the deserts, into California, over the mountains, Palm Springs, into LA, to I-5, and up I-5 we go with that rope. Into Northern California, past Mount Shasta, into the Oregon border, Mount Hood, I know Washington, Mount Rainier, Seattle, all the way up to where they say words like Oot, the Canadian border. We're not going in there. We know better. <laughs> and we, we turn around at the border and we come all the way back I-5, all the way through Oregon, all the way, to California, all the way through LA, all the way over the wall into Mexico, into Latin America, Central America, into South America all the way down to where we finally tie up on the South Pole for now. Eternity. And I ask you, would you come up on the platform here and would you mark on this little red point where your life is? Because now, in this illustration, that red mark in this little, is not your life, it's it's all of human history. All of human history. And with the most thin leaded pencil, you would just make a little itty-bitty line on this red mark, a speck in human history, which is just a small part of eternity that goes on. If you can catch a vision of that, of what eternity is like, it gives clarity to your life. It gives clarity to your values, to your decisions, to how you how you treat your husband or wife or your children, or your grandchildren, how you live your faith, how you how you run your business, eternity. I heard one uh, couple one time. They were mentors of people. They said, "Our biggest um, advice to people that are getting married, to young married marriage, married people, um, is this: every decision you make, give the twenty five thousand rule." 25,000. Ask this question. 25,000 years from now, what will this decision mean? What will this mean 25,000 years from now? It's a whole different perspective. Even if you go 5,000. Even if you go 500. Even if you go 100 years. Clarity. Our future in Jesus Christ is for eternity. And no matter what you're going through, The next million years are going to be the best. This is as bad as it'll get ever for us in Christ. Then, with that in mind, here's the charge. Verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word. Now, that word preach is like, oh, yuck. I mean, it's been hijacked. Even preachers don't like to use the word preach anymore. Nobody wants somebody preaching at them. You don't want to be known as preachy. That's it's a word that you to avoid. So we, we try to say, well, what, what is he trying to get at? Preach the word. The idea is, in, in those days, a king would have a herald, or a number of heralds, messengers, proclaimers, that when the king wanted to get some, some message out to his city, his people, or to the villages beyond, he would, he would give the message to the heralds, and they would go and they would proclaim in the city center or the town center, what that message was. What do you think would happen to the messenger, to the herald, if, if the king said, hey, take this message, and they said, uh, uh, no, uh, you know, i got an appointment at the donut shop today, I can't really get time to do that. Or they would say, ooh, have you read that? You know, I'm gonna kinda have to tweak that a little bit. You know, I'll, I'll give that message, king, but I'm gonna give my opinion along with it to kinda, you know, soften the blow. No. Just deliver the message. That's what we're called to do. That's what the church is called to do. Now, you may never be a preacher. I am one and I would never wish that on my worst enemy. You may never be a preacher in a ministry and going through all, but you are a deliverer of the message. You have a message to to give and to deliver. And so he says, this is how to do it. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Be urgent with it. Be ready to go with it. Know it. Let, let, let the passion of that sink in with you. In season or, or not. If it's hot or if it's cold. If it's, if it's raining or if it's sunny. If it's, if it's convenient or inconvenient. If, it's, if you don't feel well or if you feel great. If, if there's a, a big crowd of people or if there's nobody there. Just a couple of people. If, whatever. In season and out of season. And here's the three words he uses. Correct. Rebuke. And encourage that mess with that message. Now, again, when it comes to preaching, when it comes to delivering a message, those are words most of us don't want to hear. Correct, rebuke. Anybody want to walk into church and you know, hear in the third row, "I rebuke you." You know, yeah, you're going to be like, "I'm rebuking all the way out the door." That you know, but what in word? What you? Let me give you some of the kind of Greek context with that. Correct means this. Correct means to take incorrect thinking and give correct thinking. We are really what we think, what goes in our mind. Would you agree with me, there's a lot of weird thinking, a lot of crazy thinking, a lot of off the kilter thinking in our culture. And Ideas that people have. What would be correct thinking? Well, Paul says, I'm in the presence of God, And of Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, the one who judges the living and the dead. If anyone might just know what correct thinking is all about, it's him, the creator of it all. And the one who's going to, even if you don't like the thinking, he's the one that's going to judge it. So it doesn't matter really if you agree with it or not, but you better kind of get that as a baseline. Because the Bible tells us over and over and over again, there's a way that seems right unto men, but it leads to death. That his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts. There's a big gap between the way we think and the way God thinks. Paul says, if you really want to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, here's how it it happens. You get your mind renewed. Your thinking changes. So deliver the word that gives correct thinking to people, because you can't live a vital life with poor thinking. Correct it. Rebuke it. The word rebuke is the idea of, of taking, in, um, uh, taking actions that, that, are, that are bad and are poor, that are not healthy for you, and, rebuking those actions and providing what, what a good action what, what's a good path so that it's more it's like if I see somebody going down a road and I know that road leads to destruction I want to rebuke them I want to say hey do you know where that road leads well it's great it's a big wide road it's a comfortable roads it's fun down that road there's a lot of refreshments down that road there's a lot of Nice rest stops down that road. It's, everybody's going down the road. All my friends are going down the road. My whole family's gone down that road. That's a wonderful... Yeah, but the road ends with death. I'd like you to consider a different way. I'd like you to consider going a road that leads to life. I want to correct your actions. Because going down the wrong road, no matter how fast you go, how comfortable you go, how much you like it, Still going down that road leads to death. Then it says, encourage. I love throwing that on there because nobody wants to just be corrected and rebuked, but to be encouraged. That word encourage is so wonderful. It's two words, in, encourage, encourage. It's infusing somebody with courage. It's infusing courage into somebody. It's drawing them out and blasting them with encouragement. The courage. The opposite of it is discourage. Discourage. Some of us walked in here today, discouraged. What you've gone through this week, this past year, discouragement. And if we took time to just kind of take a pull, we'd be surprised how many people come in here with discouragement. Wouldn't it be great that every time you walked into a church, church of today, church of tomorrow, there'd be somebody to encourage you You knew you were going to get encouraged. You knew that your discouragement would be met head on with encouragement and the despair, the dark, dank, dour prison that you feel yourself in to be, that that would dissipate into hope. You're going, well, I'm not discouraged. Wouldn't it be great if you're not one of those that are discouraged that every time you walked into a church door, midweek, Sunday or whatever, you took it upon yourself, I'm going to encourage at least one person because there's a whole group of people that need to be encouraged and they're discouraged. I'm going to encourage somebody. I mean, encouragement just brings life into you. I don't want to embarrass him, but I will anyway because he he deserves it sometimes. Tony, sitting here in the front row, Tony is the biggest encourager. If you've not met Tony, come down afterwards and let Tony encourage you. I look for Tony every time I'm at Mountain Park. He encourages me. 40 years in the ministry, and I need to look for Tony in my life. He's going to encourage me. I love encouraging. Paul says the word of God makes you think right, helps you think right, deliver it. Helps you live right, and it encourages us. That's not a bad way to parent. If you can teach your kids or your grandkids how to think and the the right road to take, and to be their best cheerleader, you're going to be a good parent. Not a bad way to live a marriage. If you can help your, your spouse think, and together you think the, the same thoughts, and think the, the, way, the ways of God, and you're on a road together, and you're encouraging one another, that makes for a good marriage. Makes for good coaches, makes good, good teachers, makes for good preachers. In fact, today I tried to do that in, our, in the message together, I, that stupid little rope. Thing. I couldn't even afford to bring a rope in I can't find one that goes all the way to South America but there's with that little rope it's like can I, can I get your thinking to change a little bit so that's not just on this this little red part of your life but that your thinking goes all the way to eternity and through eternity for millions of years can, can I broaden your thinking and if, if that thinking can change will it change your actions will your road and your destination change Take a detour because all of a sudden you're not just looking at me in this life, but I'm looking at eternity. And and, and does that encourage anybody? Is it encouraging to know that your future is secure in Jesus, that in this world, as tough as it might be, even in that deep, dark, dank prison that you feel like you're in, that this is as bad as it's going to get, and that the next million years of your life are unbelievable in Christ? Does that encourage you? He says, it's so important that, that if you can just grab a hold of it with great patience and careful instruction. Why? Because there's a time coming when it all goes crazy. There's a time coming in verse um, 3 when, when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Indeed, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their, away, their, their ears away from truth and turn aside to Myths. Same as, in our spiritual life as in our regular life, we, we get addicted to junk food. Spiritually, we get addicted to junk food. So easy. Can you turn away from that? Next couple months is my favorite holiday, Halloween. I remember as a kid that the, my mom would let me take a pillow sack, uh, is that what it's called? Pill case. Pillow case. <laughs> pillowcase and fill it up with candy. Who's going to eat a plate of bro- broccoli and Brussels sprouts when there's M&M's and mounds and Reese's peanut butter cups? Spiritually, we start wanting, give me more Give, me, give me more M&M's, give me peanut flavored M&M's, give me almond flavored M&M's, give me marshmallow flavored M&Ms, M&M's. Anyway, it's important. Finally, he says this, but you, everything's upside down, but you, you got a mission to live, so keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, verse five, do the work of evangelists, discharge all your duties, but you, but you are different. You have a mission. Timothy had a mission to to discharge his ministry, to do what God's called him to do. Your mission is different than Timothy's, perhaps but you have a mission. You have a purpose. You're put on this earth for a reason. So keep a clear head. When all the world's going crazy and upside down, keep steady in your, in your head and your thinking and in your, in your thought life. And, 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 and it's going to be hard. Endure the hard stuff. Don't quit. It's so much easier to quit. Keep at it. Don't become a spectator. Don't come off to the side. It, it's easier to be dis, disinterested and distracted, but stay with it and stay with it. And do the work of an evangelist. Another Another term that's been stolen from us, evangelism is like, ooh, you come from the south with big hair and you throw up in a lot of syllables and put ah at the end of everything. Hello, it's a good to see ya. You know, and you're like, I don't want to be like that. We don't want you to be like that, believe me. And in fact, it's not talk, 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 talk like an evangelist, it's do the work of evangelist. Love, serve, give, invest in others, play the music of life so so attractive that when somebody does talk the words, that it just sinks right in, sinks right in. Do the work of an evangelist and do the ministry that you're called to do. You have a purpose to live. And then Paul says, let me just tell you, my life, it's, it's been poured out like a drink offering. I've, I've given everything I have to, to my purpose in life. Timothy, would you do the same? And as he starts to close up these last words, he's getting ready to face his death, and he says, Timothy, I just need to tell you, I have have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've finished the course. I kept the faith. And now for me, there's a crown of righteousness that the Lord has prepared for me. And within probably days, weeks, months, His head is severed from his body, and he goes to meet the Lord. That's often where we stop, like what happened to Paul? If you'll take me, let me just give you a little bit of liberty. Whatever happened to Timothy? You ever think about that, whatever happened to Timothy? He calls for Timothy to come visit him. Most scholars think that he did, that he made his way to Rome from Ephesus where the church was, and that he actually witnessed the beheading of Paul. He was there at the death. For some reason, he probably got incarcerated and thrown into prison, perhaps the same dark, damp, deep pit of a cell that Paul was in. He gets released from prison. He goes back to Ephesus. They make him bishop of Ephesus. He's investing in all the churches and ministry of Ephesus. God sends another mentor to him, a guy named John. John the disciple, John the one who wrote the gospel. In Ephesus, he writes the gospel, John does. In Ephesus, John writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he just mentors Timothy more. I mean, how amazing would that be to have Paul and the the disciple John, the apostle John, as your mentor? He grows to be an older man in this stage, and he he no longer, even as he grows frail, he's no longer afraid, timid, ready to quit. He, he takes the words of Paul and he gets stronger. And there were gangs that ran around in Ephesus at that time that were sometimes even sent by um, Nero, the crazy, the crazy emperor, at least protected by Nero. And they, they hated Christians and they killed Christians and they set Christians on fire and they did all these things to Christians. And 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 this one group had had a way, they'd they'd go around with masks on their heads and clubs in their hands and they would beat people, they'd beat men, they would kill men with their clubs and they would assault the women in Ephesus. And one day Timothy had enough and he goes to the downtown city center of Ephesus where this group had gathered and he confronts them and he begins to preach the gospel to them, preach the word using the word of evangelism, telling them about Jesus, Tell them the difference that Jesus can make in life, rebuking them, quit doing what you're doing, get on a different road, quit going down that road. Somewhere in the middle of all that, they surround him, knock him to the ground, and beat the life out of him with their clubs. They kill him. And he's done. In my imagination, I wonder what it's like from the moment his, his his spirit left his body and he and he went to heaven and he starts to come to the great gates of heaven in my mind's eye i can't help but imagine paul running full bore at timothy knocking peter out of the way running to timothy timothy you did it timothy you fought the good fight timothy you you finished the race. Timothy, you kept the faith. I didn't know if you were going. You, you kept the faith. You did it. Timothy's like, whoa. Paul, last time I saw you, your head was kind of rolling down. Yeah, I know. I'm they, they put it back on for me. And they put this crown on me. Timothy, let me show you around. Right. Let, let, let me show you around. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce you to Jesus. I bet you he has a crown for you as well. Takes him to Jesus. Jesus, this is my son in the faith. This is Timothy. He's run the race. He's fought the fight. He's kept the faith. Jesus goes, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I know him. I know Timothy. Are you kidding me? Timothy, come here. Yeah. You completed your mission. You lived your mission well. Timothy. You spread the message, you delivered it. Timothy, I have a crown for you, because I want you to know, your future is secure. I hope you enjoy the next million years. Well done, good and faithful. Servant, Mountain Park. Get an eternal perspective, because you're you're secure in your future in Christ Jesus. Deliver the word. Deliver the message. Live your mission. God's put you here for a reason. It's the church of yesterday it's the church of today it's the church of tomorrow